0: Welcome to this week's Henchman of Comics. I'm Alex Eshback.
1: I'm Matt Golden.
0: And this week we are talking about Paper Girls.
1: Yeah, we are. But before we get into that, I want to tell you about my trip I just took, buddy.
0: Well, go right ahead.
1: Well, don't mind it if I do. So, I just went to Austin this past weekend. Austin, Massachusetts. Austin, Massachusetts. Um, they have a huge hipster scene there. They have lots of tacos. Uh, probably the best Mexican food you can find in in Massachusetts. So I went down there and went and saw some music, had a great time with a girlfriend and a buddy of mine, and then I was like, ah, what should I do that I can really enjoy while I'm down here, other than having my way the whole time. So I decided I was going to go to a couple of comic book stores because so I go to this, I go to two different places. The first place I go to is called Austin Books and Comics. It literally has every trade that i could have ever imagined it was like a warehouse they even had like a a sidekick store attached to the back of it like it was crazy they had a bunch of like damaged stuff that you could buy super cheap it was really really neat it was the biggest comic book store i've ever seen uh if you ever make it down to austin texas you should go check it out it's like a mecca you can find any trade there it's absolutely bizarre but i went to another place And I think I liked it a little bit more just because of some of the exclusive stuff. Now, Austin Books and Comics have the biggest variety of old single issues, stuff that's super expensive that you have to go find on eBay, which I've never seen before in a comic book store. That's some of the the high-dollar single issues, the first issue of this, first appearance of whoever. Really fucking cool. It was great. And then I went to this place called The Dragon's Lair down there which I liked a little bit more, not because of the selection, because the, the name alone, the name alone. Uh, no, the dragon's layer has this really cool thing. I don't know if they've got some sort of deal with somebody. I never really looked it up, but on some of their trades, especially the first issue of the a trade. So uh, seven to eternity, the cover is from a variant. So the trade doesn't have the same cover as any of the other trades. So I got East of West with a new cover down there. I got Seven to Eternity. I got Killer Kill Kill or Be Killed by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, one of my all-time favorite comic duos. But it was absolutely fucking incredible. I was so pumped and I bought way too much stuff there. <laughs> I I don't know what to say. It was really fucking cool.
0: Yeah, that sounds really cool. It was. Yeah, everyone like there's that traveling experience. Like people go to different cons and comic cons. And some of that has gotten away from comics, but it's still cool to hear that people travel across the US and they still visit little comic book shops while they're out there.
1: Paper Girls by Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang. Alex, tell yeah. me about Paper Girls.
0: Paper Girls was a series that I had not read. And it's strange because I'm a huge fan of Brian K. Vaughn. I love Why the Last Man from my all time favorite series, Saga, is fantastic, obviously. Why the Last Man is so great. And even he, even in, during the uh, Marvel's Ultimate Universe run, his run Ultimate X was one of my favorite Ultimate runs, too.
1: So I actually got to recommend this series to Alex. He actually, I think, showed me back in the day that Brian Kavon was coming out with this new series, and then he just kind of left it there like a real way Didn't go explore it at all, didn't go buy the first issue because he waits for trades, which there's nothing wrong with that. If you got time, you got patience, why not?
0: Well, I thought to myself, I was like, is amazing. Why taint it with anything else by Brian K. Vaughn? Let's put that series in. Then maybe I'll pick it up at some other time. I was wrong after reading the first volume. I really like Paper Girls.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, so tell me about the first issue of... Not the first issue, but the first trade of Paper Girls, which collects issues one through five.
0: I'm actually going to back up for a minute and now, talk about two. We're actually both big fans of Cliff Chains Brunk oh, yeah. on Wonder Woman.
1: Yes, Brian Azzarello in so far for what I've read of Wonder Woman, which is uh, a decent amount of Wonder Woman. It's probably my favorite. It's It really goes in and explores the Greek themes and his art in there is just really incredible.
0: I don't know how you feel, but his art during that Wonder Woman run was probably my favorite art during the New 52.
1: I don't think... Um, ooh, that's close. That's really close. Uh, Greg Capullo on Batman might be better. Greg Capullo on Batman is a... Motherfucker. That dude is a beast, but Cliff Chang is certainly no slouch. And he really got to, uh, I think, do exactly what he wanted to do with Paper Girls. And I think this sort of suits him a little better than Wonder Woman did.
0: Yeah, I think what he does well, and we saw it some in Wonder Woman, but you see it a lot in Paper Girls, his art style really lends itself to quality world building, which as a storyteller, Brian K. Vaughn is excellent world building. And when he pairs himself with a fantastic artist, really good to see two great minds create a visually striking world that will leave your member just single panels days after you've read the issue.
1: Yeah, I can I can think back to especially since I read it the most recently, even though I just reread all these, uh, volume three in Paper Girls, there's this scene that's actually sideways instead of top to bottom. And it really lends itself to something that really is incredible with uh, Brian K. Vaughn, which is just these unique worlds, like you were saying, uh, super incredible, super vivid, super dark, but in a bright kind of kind of way. And I think that also has something to do with the with the coloring as well. The coloring is is fantastic in this book.
0: Yeah, we should say that this book takes place at least in the beginning, in 1988. parts that way. So the art, the writing, obviously captures and there's these little nods to 80s, whatever, 80s music, 80s style throughout the book. But I think the coloring also has a very real, like, 80s feel to it.
1: It does. And unfortunately, it's right before, it's, it happens in 88, so it, it's right before the greatest hit of the 80s comes out, Pump Up the Jam by Technotronic. So it's really a shame they didn't get around to including that song in this series.
0: Yeah, do you think the entire series would have been different if it was written in 89 after that song came out?
1: It really would have. The whole, I mean, it changed the way the world is now. If it wasn't for that song, would Bill Clinton have been elected president? I don't think so.
0: So what was it about Paper Girls that really drew you in? Like, obviously, I assume you picked it up because you like Brian Vaughn. You like Cliff Chang. But at what moment do you realize that you got more than your money's worth out of the series?
1: Well, luckily, Image Trades are like $9 for the first one, so I knew I had my money's worth the second that I just purchased the book. I was like, "This is even if this thing sucks, it's worth 10 bucks." That's how I feel about most comics. It can be some special thing. It can be just a trade. If I'm paying $10 for a comic, it's great. But to kind of go back to Paper Girls about what's really great about it, the second I saw Cliff Chang's spaceship, I absolutely lost my shit. I was... I had no cool. There was no chill. I was like, that's fucking cool as hell. I was like, I'm sucked in. Let's do 80s Paper Girls. And there's four of them, by the way. Mac, Tiff, KJ, and Aaron. Aaron's kind of the lead in this thing. Uh, But the second that these four Paper Girls discover this spaceship, I'm like, oh, we're in for some shit right now.
0: See, for me, it was actually early in the first trade when I started reading the series whenever... I mean, I never read the back of a series, never read a synopsis, so I had no idea what I was getting into. The one thing I knew was the talent behind it and the title uh, and the company that put the book out. But when I started to realize that it was a coming-of-age story, took place in the 80s, uh, and it started on Halloween night, was all things like Suckerman. And I'm a big fan of coming-of-age stories. I like, the, I like Halloween tropes. I like 80s tropes as well. There's little things like the Monster Squad poster in the background on Aaron's room really set, at least for me, set the mood and the stage of what I was about to read. You
1: know what this really reminded me of? What's that? Uh, It reminds me sort of if Stranger Things happened in a different world. It has the same basic setup. Four friends, riding their bikes, discover some crazy-ass shit.
0: Yeah, I thought when I read the series, I thought back to Stranger Things as well. And I was wondering myself, did Brian Vaughn and Cliff Chang, like, watch Stranger Things, and they're just like, son of a bitch. Like, (laughs) we did it first. Fuckers. No Stranger Things is all the rage right now. So we're not just saying that as, like, a loose, like, tie-in. But I do think if you're a fan of Stranger Things and you haven't read Paper Girls, it would be right up your alley.
1: They work very well together, kind of hand in hand. Actually, because I knew they worked so well together, I've actually been watching uh, Stranger Things for, like, the third time now. So I've really enjoyed both of them simultaneously. If you want to rewatch Stranger Things, go and grab Paper Girls and kinda of read them at the same time and have some weird dreams like I did. I'd
0: like to point out that Matt has rewatched Stranger Things three times, but has not finished watching season one of Daredevil.
1: You know what? I've got like one episode left, man.
0: Uh, did you want to go into some of the story at least a little bit for volume one?
1: Oh yeah, we gotta give a synopsis for sure. So the first trade of paper girls really sets the tone. There are these girls, and all of a sudden, on Halloween morning, everything goes kind of fucky. Uh, everybody starts disappearing, unbeknownst to the girls, and their parents are gone. And the sky turns a great weird ass color.
0: And I will say a little before that, it, the protagonist of the story is a girl named Erin. Yes, and it was her first night delivering papers for what? the Cleveland Plains,
1: Plains Dealer, something like that. Uh, some some weird ass Cleveland oh, you- town in some in that yeah. shithole.
0: For our Cleveland newspaper... Uh, oh, Stony
1: Stream. Stony Man. Stream.
0: And Aaron meets up with the three other paper girls to where she did not know. And to them, she's the strange new girl.
1: She is the strange new girl. She meets up with these three girls, KJ, Tiff, and Mac. One of them, spoiler alert, it's Tiff has a- absolutely nothing to do in this entire three trades. She's very underdeveloped. Um, that's just kind of one of my pet peeves of this whole series. But back to... back to the first trade
0: but they end up bonding over that initial moment when they are attacked by three strangely dressed men that are wearing like black rags uh, that could be classified as terrifying Halloween costumes
1: without a theme they just kind of look like black mummies to me but I mean I can see if you're delivering papers on Halloween night how three giant sort of Looming dark figures could be scary, I guess. I guess it's kind of terrifying, whatever.
0: Especially if you're a 12-year-old girl.
1: Whatever, I've been there before. I would be scared. I ain't no bitch.
0: Matt's never been there before. Disclaimer.
1: <laughs> you don't You don't know my life, Alex. So after they discover this, they have one of their walkie-talkies get stolen by these strange men. They end up sort of chasing them around amidst this sky going dark and all these adults going missing. And the one thing that Tiff is concerned about is her missing walkie-talkie that she's saved up for years for. And that's kind of all that we hear from this girl throughout this entire thing. She's just missing her walkie-talkie.
0: Yeah, eventually they make their way into the basement of a home and they find this strange device in the basement. It kind of looks like a... It's like an, updi- an upside down cup, basically, with strange little uh, buttons and colorings and proddings all around it.
1: This upside down cup that Alex is, Alex is talking about is actually what I thought would be brilliant space shuttle, which is miniaturized, that Cliff Chang portrayed. And Alex is belittling Cliff Chang right now and saying that his art is terrible. Defend yourself, Alex.
0: It's not Cliff Shanks. Art, that's terrible. It's my description <laughs> of objects uh, of upside down. I'm sorry. That was offensive to both spaceships and <laughs> the cups that are upside down. I apologize to fanatics of both.
1: <laughs> As you should. You've offended a lot of people who love solo cups.
0: But the girls end up touching the spaceship. Uh, a strange light happens. It's a bright pink light. We see like the outline of their skeletons. And they go outside. And like Matt mentioned, the sky is pink and everything's different. They realize that a bunch of people in their town are missing and they make their way over to Max's house.
1: Yeah, so so we're not just like synopsizing this entire thing for you know, 20 more minutes. Basically, Aaron gets shot and then they kind of get zapped into 2016 where this trade ends and she ends up meeting her future self. Which Aaron, is like, that
0: is meet your future self. She
1: meets future Aaron. Aaron meets future Aaron, and she is not what she expected to be.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a really cool thing about this trade. It kind of jumps into volume two here. But what would your twelve-year-old self think of you at forty?
1: If I was twelve years old and shit, I'm only twenty-eight now. If I was twelve years old and saw what I was at twenty-eight, I would probably end it all. I am. Pretty lame compared to what my 12-year-old self was. My 12-year-old self got in trouble for doing some pretty reckless shit. And now I'm just kind of tame.
0: But there is this really, I think, tender moment in the series. Nope. Whenever older Erin, four year old Erin, is understandably self-conscious about what her 12-year-old self uh, thinks about her. And that, I think that's a natural thing for adults to be, especially when you're literally confronted with your past, staring directly at you. And you must think how much you've disappointed yourself. But young Aaron does nothing but shower compliments on the adult Aaron. And it's this really sweet moment where they hug.
1: Yeah, but keep in mind, this is also after, or maybe it's before, but at some point, young Aaron insults old Aaron by uh, <laughs> having her friends tell old Aaron that young Aaron thought she sucked, anyways.
0: Or that she was crazy.
1: Yeah, she was crazy. That's what it was. But I get that. One week ago, Matt thinks, current day Matt, is a real failure, so I can relate. I can relate, I get it. So tell me about your favorite moment from the first two trades. The second trade, which goes into 2016 and has three different versions of Aaron duking it out, trying to figure out what's what, and making their way downtown, walking fast, faces past in their homebound.
0: My favorite moment is, from the, at least from the second trade, is, it's a kind of a weird moment, but... I like how quickly current 2016 Erin accepts that her past version is there. Like, <laughs> I like that there's not this long, drawn-out conversation. It's just, okay, that's my past self. A few lines of dialogue. I accept this as my new reality.
1: And what kind of uh, luck is it that the one person that pulls up on these teenage kids is herself from the future? It's a little coincidental, but you know what? It's storytelling, and it's comic book, and everything's coincidental in comic books. Or
0: is it fate? Ooh, destiny. And I'm not saying that as, like, I have some inside info. I don't. That's just me throwing a counterpoint out there.
1: Do you have Brian K. Vaughn's phone number?
0: Not that he knows of. (laughs) Alex
1: used to work for a cell phone company, so he probably has your cell phone number. If you're out there listening to this.
0: Yeah, you know that number that you never answer because you don't know who's calling? That's probably me.
1: Yeah, it's not some weird debt collector. It's Alex (laughs) Oklahoma just trying to see what's up.
0: I usually pose as someone offering you a credit card. (laughs) If you accept and never got the credit card, I apologize right now.
1: You did absolutely nothing with your social (laughs) security number. He just has a stack of them. It's
0: just on file.
1: Yeah,
0: (laughs) Don't worry about it.
1: So we'll briefly talk about Paper Girls. No, we're
0: going to rewind a bit. Oh no, we will. What was your favorite moment from these first two trades?
1: Oh, uh, from the whole first two trades, my favorite moment would have to be some of the more gruesome stuff that the third errand, which is uh, going to need some explaining here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna back up just a touch here. My favorite moment comes when. This Aaron from an alternate reality. So not either of the Aaron's we've been talking about.
0: No, no, not an alternate reality. No, she, no, no. She made it clear that there's only one reality. Although the way oh, she spoke true. was very confusing.
1: Oh, yes. it was. She's from a different timeline. Is it from the future? Absolutely. Because she shows up in this red spacesuit and she goes to this mall. So my favorite moment is when this weird future Aaron comes back to the past She's brought all these weird creatures with her, and she goes to the mall to track down uh, 1988 Aaron and 2016 Aaron, and she steps upon both Mac and Tiffany, uh, who again is useless. She ends up getting trapped by this caterpillar-looking thing. Uh, Maybe it was a maggot. I'm not sure. Uh, And she just explodes the ever-loving shit out of it using some sweet magic, and she's just like, Greetings. What's up, motherfuckers? And she makes this pretty grand entrance. I think that was probably my favorite moment from this whole thing, uh, was just seeing some, some new elements brought in that I was like, I was not expecting any of this. Here we go. Rock and roll.
0: Yeah, usually when there's time travel involved and you run into a future version or past version of yourself, you don't expect a third version of yourself that's been cloned for some purpose that maybe nefarious, or maybe to your benefit.
1: Does this book sound confusing? Because if you read it, I promise it is not. It's pretty straightforward.
0: Yeah, I think the most confusing moments come for, it's usually from the antagonist, because they don't speak language in a sense that we're familiar with. Language has obviously evolved over time, and the language pulls from several different known languages, pulls from, I mean, common internet usage, text speak, things like that, too, and it blends it all together.
1: Yeah, it's really odd. Uh, some Sometimes it's difficult to, to surmise what some people are saying, but for the most part, it's fairly easy, and you can be like, oh, this guy hates young people.
0: Yeah, do you ever think that Brian Vaughn just thinks like that in his head sometimes now? He just can think in that own language that he invented and clearly understand it, or do you think he's just typing words on a page? He's like, this sounds good.
1: I think he maybe he's dyslexic, and he's just writing it how it actually comes to him, and yeah.
0: I don't think you know how dyslexia works. Yeah,
1: but I'm pretty sure I don't. You're right.
0: It's not forming your own language, but that would be probably be my favorite disability to have.
1: <laughs> I, like, I like that term. Wait, no, I don't.
0: But my favorite moment in the entire series, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. I'm not going to get into any of the stories much, but actually comes in Volume 3. I did lose my favorite from the first two, but Volume 3, there's this wonderful moment. At least to me, I thought it was wonderful when KJ is running from people that are chasing her. And as she's running from herself, she earlier, she got a glimpse of her future and that future, she saw herself kissing Mac. And in that, as she was running, she just thought out loud, why did I kiss Mac? While being, even though she's, even though three men are trying to kill her, there's a giant cliff ahead that she has no idea how to pass. Just wondering out loud. Why did I kiss that person? I felt like that was a very 12-year-old like state of mind, too.
1: It keeps it very real from a 12-year-old perspective. Like Their problems are real 12-year-old girl problems, and they just happen to be in these insane situations that, that they get themselves thrust into. I do think
0: we need to rewind a little bit and go a little bit more into the plot, because there's a big moment that happened in Volume 2 that we haven't talked about, but Mac visits her former house. Uh, Tiff and Mac want to find an adult who's not crazy, like they view 2016 Aaron. They go to Mac's old house looking for her parents, trying to find an adult that is not crazy like they view 2016 Aaron. And a man enters a door that's not Mac's father, and he tells Mac and Tiff that the family that lived there previously moved out in 1991 after their daughter died of leukemia.
1: I personally blame Tiff for this situation. I'm pretty sure she has thrust leukemia onto Mac, or maybe past Mac, his. Got leukemia just to get away from this awful person named Tiff. It was an
0: interesting detail to add to Mac because her character in the story, I you really want to describe her as a
1: tomboy. Devil May Care.
0: But yeah, I think Devil May Care is honestly a much better way to describe her. She's smokes cigarettes. She's got the shortest hair out of the girls in the group. She curses. She really, she has that who gives a shit attitude. And she's the group badass, essentially. Or self-described badass. All the girls do badass things throughout the series. But Mac is the one that's the fuck it attitude of the group.
1: Yeah, she really is. She is voted most likely to get kicked out of college.
0: To put a ticking clock on the tough character of the group adds an interesting wrinkle. One that we might see her soften a bit. In the future, or and of course as a reader of trades in even even single issues, you wonder, is Macaulay gonna die or are the girls gonna find a way to change this because they can now travel through time.
1: Yeah, and in the third trade, speaking of traveling through time, uh they've gone to the past and now they or they've gone to the future and now they end up going way into the past in the caveman times. Uh, And that's kind of what book three explores is these four girls finally meeting back up together oh, by the way, one of them got split up in Volume 2, blah, blah, blah. They all meet up together in Volume 3 and sort of become one big happy family. And, again, spoilers, somebody ends up killing uh, a man, which is kind of cool. That might actually be my favorite part of the series, is when they actually kill a human for the first time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they know what it is. So your favorite part of the series is when 12-year-old girls learn what it's like to take a man's life.
1: When a 12-year-old girl takes another man's life, an angel gets its wings. So tell me something that you disliked about this series. Really? Tell Brian K. Vaughn how to do his job better. Tell him what he's doing wrong. Tell him why you hate him.
0: I'm not going to tell him any of those things (laughs) because they would all be lies. And if I gave him any advice, it would just make everything he writes worse. (laughs)
1: Yep.
0: It was like the episode of The Simpsons where a Kravopoulos shows Marge and Homer the graph of Bart, how he's a black hole and all the students around him just get dumber (laughs) by being next to by being in proximity to Bart. That's what I would do to Brian Gabon.
1: I can see that. You do that to me.
0: But as far as like what I dislike from the series, I mean it's minor nitpicks, but some of the time traveling aspects are confusing to me. Like in volume three, I guess they're in the past, but there's future aspects you see in it.
1: There is a time traveler. In dinosaur times, where they go back to,
0: not just the time traveler itself, but the fact that there's a giant hill or mountain with a figure carved into it, holding up the apple symbol, and then there's also
1: apple is very prevalent in this series. They create weapons, <laughs> they create things that are implanted into your brain. Apple is fucking terrifying.
0: Yeah, if it, if that was a endorsement. Good, good for them. I, I'm glad they got paid because it, it works. It blends seamlessly into the story. and doesn't hinder it at all, I feel.
1: I think it would be a lot cooler if it just said Samsung instead of having the cool Apple logo.
0: <laughs> and one thing I like because I'm a lazy reader at times, we did mention the language difference between people in the future. I just like a little asterisk down at the bottom, translating what they're saying to language I can understand. I appreciate As an art form trying to decipher the message. And generally, like Matt said, you generally get the gist of what they're saying. But I'm always curious if anything is lost in translation.
1: Yeah, these people do have these collars that can translate uh, into current English, whatever these people from any time are saying. Uh, But if they don't have this collar on, it's basically just symbols. So you have no fucking clue what they're saying, which can at times be frustrating. But like Alex does say, Uh, It's good for a lazy reader like myself, and it does really play in the story, but I would like to know what these people are saying.
0: And that, I mean, that can add a bit of mystery, a bit of suspense. I mean, I I understand why it's done, and like I said, it's not a major nitpick. Now, was there anything that you disliked from the series?
1: I disliked having to share something I liked with you. It's probably my least favorite part of this whole series. Oh, you mean the comic, not me and you talking as a podcast.
0: That's going to make for a real awkward podcast series.
1: (laughs) It's going to be really rough going. Uh, I liked it for the most part. I I don't really have a lot of complaints. I thought the third trade was probably the weakest of the three. I wasn't super connected to this woman that they stumble upon whose child they end up saving at some point. Most of that one just kind of felt a little forced. I'm excited to see where they go next because they are going to the 90s, which that's when I was... Raised, so I'm I'm a child in the 90s.
0: One thing I did really enjoy about this series is that each trade, and each trade is five issues. Each trade feels like a continuing and end of its own story. The first trade is very much in the 80s with the girls. The second trade is all about being in 2016 with future Aaron, and the third trade is all about being in the weird, I guess, quasi past. With the three men and Wari and her baby. Three men and a
1: baby, yeah. Yeah, hey. Oh, did I mention that I hate Tiff in this? Because she's the fucking worst. If there's one thing... Okay, go back to my dislike question. I dislike this entire character. Can they just do three baby girls? Because I love the other three. But this one has no merit so far.
0: See, I feel like that's a little unfair. Volume 1 was all about character building. For Aaron, and we get a lot more of that in volume two, with some of Mac sprinkled in, and bought in each of the three volumes. Because really, we didn't know much about KJ. We knew that she was Jewish, uh, went to a different school than the other girls. But really, volume three is where we learn a lot more about KJ. So I'm hoping in volumes four, we learn a lot more about Tiff.
1: God, I hope not. Can we just skip that part of uh, of this? Can we just kill her off? So if I were to make a prediction. Based off what I've seen so far, keep in mind, this is 15 issues. This is no small amount of time. Um, I'm going to predict, and I know this is a far out there prediction, but I'm going to predict Tiffany's death just because it's something that I hope for.
0: Okay, so that's a good good question. So if by the time the series ends, and maybe we'll revisit it when the series ends in 2022 or whenever the series is going to be done with if it was right at all for either one of us. So you think Tiff is the most likely to die out of the four characters? And, like, I don't mean die and come back to life like Superman does, or every superhero seems to once every five to ten years. I mean, like, dead and gone.
1: Actually, if if I'm going to say the most likely character to die, it's Eren, because there are so many clones of her. I'm assuming there are several clones of her if they're just sending them back willy-nilly in time. So I'm going to say most likely to die is Eren, but most... In my heart of hearts, I really hope that Jeff dies.
0: See, I'm going to stick with the more simple answer. I think Mac is most likely to die with the leukemia. Do you think if she survives in the end, that will be a bit of a cop-out? Or do you think, or do you want her to see the end? Like, do you think her death will be earned if she dies of leukemia? Or do you think they need to find a cure for her?
1: I think there needs to be sort of a happily ever after for somebody in, in a lot of stories, and I think the most easy uh, to be happy at the end of this would be a KJ and Mac team up. Because as we saw in Paper Girls Line 3, once again, spoilers, KJ, touched, KJ touches this magic triangle that shows what we presume is the future. And she ends up kissing Mac. So hopefully they get together and have lots of weird babies that smoke cigarettes. Maybe smoking cigarettes.
0: Do you think adopted children are weird? Is that what you're trying to say?
1: <laughs> Only if they're not smoking cigarettes.
0: Now, who's your favorite character in the series?
1: I would definitely say it's KJ, but it came at the end of Volume 3. So you're saying, whenever
0: we cover Volume 4, you're like, okay, Tiff is my favorite character. It's Tiff and no one else.
1: No, Tiff could have the most badass story arc in Volume 4, which, by the way... She set up alone in 1990 at an Applebee's with a cop having a gun on her. So she's set up for a pretty interesting volume four. So your prediction of her having a lot bigger role next issue could be correct. Right now, my favorite is 100% KJ because she is a field hockey player who has now bashed a caveman's skull in with her field hockey stick. Pretty badass. And hey, she has seen the future.
0: My favorite character is Aaron, which kind of surprises me. Because I tend to, in fiction, lean towards characters like Mac, the uh, the benders from the, rec- the breakfast clubs of the group.
1: That's like saying my favorite character in Harry Potter is Harry Potter. That's a lame cop-out.
0: I mean, my favorite character from Harry Potter is Dobby, the house elf. If you really want to get into it, he's tied with Snape. Uh, but anyway, no, it's I know she's a protagonist. It's not super interesting. But... On like a personal level, which no one cares about, it was just interesting to me because like I said, I tend to lean towards the characters that are built like Mac, your prototypical breakfast club bender type characters.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting for you. That's That kind of goes against what I would expect for you. I would think you would relate most to Mac because you are my short-haired female chain-smoking 12-year-old girlfriend.
0: Now, like, all it takes is for, like, one villain to make a reference to The Clash or Real Big Fish, and then they'll be my favorite characters. I will sell out my favorite character real easily for a Scar Punk reference. I will say, like, whenever I was, like, idiot, I'm like, okay, who are the big punk fans right now that they're going to make a <laughs> reference to? I think, I think I saw a new kid on the block poster in one of the backgrounds, so that's close enough for me. <laughs> so what are your hopes for this series? Where do you want it to go? Like, do you want it to be like Chew, where it has, like, a definitive end? Like, it's going to run for 60 issues and then be done. Or to like, be like Fables, where it runs for 100-plus issues, has a lot of spinoffs. What do you want out of it?
1: I've seen a Brian K. Vaughn series come to the end a few times now. So what I expect and hope is that it lasts, and maybe keep it shorter, because, God damn it, I like things to end while I'm, while I'm right there and super into it. So I don't ever want it to get old. I want it to end maybe after six to eight trades. I know that's kind of a light load for a for a comic but man that would be sweet but 10 is, is probably more realistic so about 60 issues or so provided that these two beautiful men are still up for it
0: yeah I'd like to see the girls like say the same age like I like them them be around like 12 13 I don't really want them to age and become young adults or anything like that
1: oh you know they're going to in the end like you're gonna see what becomes of these women.
0: We'll see. I do agree with that. I think it would be like 10 to 12 trades, which is about 50 to 60 issues, would be a good run for the series. But, I mean, I would never be hurt if there was more.
1: You would never be... You wouldn't be upset if they produced, like, 100 issues of paper per
0: I loved Why the Last Man. I thought it was one of the best series from start to finish. But if there was 20 more issues out there in a vault, I would read them in a heartbeat.
1: Okay, so give me a score on a scale of 1 to 10. How would you rank paper
0: girls i'm gonna give it an eight which is really high for me it's a series that we mentioned earlier in the podcast i had not read it all matt told me about it and he lent me the trade so i could start reading it and it's one that i as soon as i was finished reading volume three i immediately went and looked up when the release date for volume four was
1: for me after volume two i wasn't as in a hurry i do like this series a lot but I actually wrote down my score, and Alex hasn't seen it yet. Alex, how about you tell the people what I, what I wrote on there?
0: Matt wrote a 7.5.
1: Yeah, so we're pretty damn close on this. I like it a lot. A 7.5 is no slouch for a score. I think it's got room to grow. I think it's got room for improvement. These guys are really at the height of their game, and they're just getting the story started. I do like the fact that after every five trades, they seem to end up in a new time period. So I'm, I'm really kind of curious to see where they're going to take this whole 90s thing. So I think that's about all we've got for Paper Girls for you guys.
0: As always, you can email us at henchmanofcomics at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram. You can find us on Facebook.
1: Our Instagram art is brought to you by the wonderful Matt McGill. Find him on Instagram at IamMcGill. Just type that into Instagram. You're going to find some really cool-ass art.
0: For the Hinchman of Comics, I'm Alex Dashback.
1: And I am always going to be telling weird long stories. I'm Matt Golden.
0: And your name easy.